Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. Welcome to another episode of Perceived Value. I'm Sarah Rachel Brown, your host, your producer, and today's episode is sponsored by Adornment in Theory. That's right, it's the first sponsored episode of the podcast, and this sponsorship came in the form of a plane ticket. So big thanks for helping me get to Chicago to record this week's episode. Adornment in Theory is a curated art jewelry and design studio located in the heart of Chicago's neighborhood, Logan Square. Their studio showcases unique, one-of-a-kind work, as well as fine jewelry that pushes accessory design into wearable art. Check out adornmenintheory.com to shop their collections of jewelry, as well as accessories for men, women, or however you identify. And of course, follow them on social media at Adornment and Theory. Gotta give a big shout out and thank you to my new patrons, Cole and Julie. Thank you. Your support means the world to me and this little podcast. If you want to show your support of the podcast, become our patron on Patreon. You name the amount and how long you want to contribute. It's real easy. Visit patreon.com slash value to learn more. And for those who don't have the cash to spare, you can always help me out by rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes. Even if you don't use iTunes, you don't like iTunes, that's fine. Just do the Scala favor. Download the iTunes podcast app, subscribe to Perceived Value, and then hit that review button, please. Today's interview was recorded this past May in Chicago, Illinois. The annual Society of North American Goldsmiths Conference was taking place, and the city was teeming with artists, jewelers, curators, and metalsmiths from all over the country and Canada. And so, in conjunction, my guests decided to co-curate an exhibition, which was installed at, of course, Adornment in Theory. The exhibition, Underexposed, was curated by Adia Sykes and Viviana Langhoff and gave spotlight and celebrated makers and artists of color. The intention was to bring focus to the lack of diverse representation within the jewelry community. Adia Sykes is a Chicago-based curator arts administrator and graduate of the School of the Art Institute of Chicago with a Master's of Arts from the Department of Arts Administration and Policy. And of course, if you listened to my previous episode of the podcast, you know who Viviana Langhoff is. Fine jeweler, designer, owner of Adornment in Theory. Just press pause and go listen to that episode to learn all about her if you haven't already. This recording is different from my usual interviews. For one, it's between myself and two other individuals, which is a first for the podcast. But also, 
I usually go into an interview very confident in what the structure of the conversation will be. But with this discussion, I didn't really know. And I say discussion because it didn't feel like I was the interviewer. And honestly, I didn't want to be the one asking all the questions. The conversation meandered at times. And there were moments where I didn't know what to say. And I was okay with that because... More than anything, I was there to listen. There are a few moments where I hear the trepidation in my voice because when talking about race and racism as a white woman, it's hard not to be completely terrified that you're going to say the wrong thing or something that is inadvertently offensive. But if we don't talk about racism, then we're not acknowledging it. And if we don't acknowledge it, we're only allowing it to perpetuate. The subject of diversity and racism is a hard subject to tackle in just an hour on one episode of a podcast. And that was by no means our intention. We just wanted to broach the subject, talk about systemic racism and how it affects artists of color within creative communities. And, you know, talk about it in a way in which we could be both extremely vulnerable, yet comfortable enough to do so. This episode is not about having the answers or saying all the right things. It's meant to be a catalyst. Viviana and Adia invited me to be a part of their project and presented the opportunity to share these important topics on my platform. And for that, I owe them a great deal of gratitude. This conversation was recorded in Adornment in Theory during their regular business hours. So there's sometimes street noise and conversations in the background that I hope are not too distracting. Please welcome today's guests, Viviana Langhoff and Adia Sykes. Okay. Um, hey. Hello. Hey, 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 hey. So in Adornment in Theory and Chicago's Logan Square neighborhood right now. Very excited for this conversation I'm about to have. Um, back in November, this wonderful woman named Bianca, who works here, found me at New York City Jewelry Week and said that her boss was interested in collaborating with Perceived Value during SNAG's conference upcoming in May in Chicago. So here I am. And the only perceived value event I did during the conference is today in uh, this lovely, lovely space and doing something that I have never done with the podcast before. And I am having a conversation amongst three people. So um, very excited to have this first experience now and I'm going to be speaking with Viviana Langhoff who is the owner of Adornment and Theory and oh you know what Adia what is your last name Sykes Adia Sykes yes sorry I blanked on that and Adia Sykes who lives in Chicago um just graduated from from School of Art Institute of Chicago and Adia can you describe what your degree was in Yeah, I got an MA in Arts Administration and Policy from the School of the Art Institute. And kind of what that means is the 
administrative facilitation production side of the art world business and encapsulates a whole lot really yeah also sounds like a smart degree to get it's like the one if you're gonna go to art school my parents were like you don't make art what are you doing (laughs) (laughs) oh so that is interesting that you did go to art school but you have never been like a practicing artist necessarily not really i have a dance practice um i was trained as a classical ballet dancer and then now dance and occasionally teach argentine tango that is incredible what (laughs) um so then you so then picking that degree what was what's your intention with it like what is your goal yeah I mean I was always surrounded by and really around artists and people who were creative um all for most of my life actually I was going to go to law school but that did not pan out clearly um so I figured well if I like art, worked in a couple of ethnographic museums like the Field Museum and and other things. It's like, how could I be around art, be around artists, be around living artists, mm-hmm. being able to have dialogues and talk with people, um, but not be a maker of art. And so the kind of administrative thing emerged yeah. as the way to do that and meld all those interests into one thing. Yeah. And so your role within this project so we're at Adorman in theory and there is a show currently up here um can you describe what the show is sure this exhibition is called underexposed and it's a photography photography series excuse me uh fo- photographed by leslie Frumpong, a dear friend of mine and also a recent graduate from the school of the art institute's photography department and really what it is it's showcasing jewelry makers, other artists and activists in the city who are who identify as artists or people of color. Mm-hmm. And so the kind of thinking behind that when Viviana approached me for the project was, you know, we have all of these makers who don't necessarily get this, get to be in the spotlight, who are overlooked, who are excluded. And so how do we celebrate their practices, Mm -hmm. uh, celebrate the beautiful work that they do, celebrate their identities, um, doing that with with dignity, showing that beauty. And so this photography series was a way to kind of sucker punch people with like, the artists are of color, the models are of color, (laughs) the the photographer is of color. And so it's just this kind of multi-layered, exhibition that that showcases the beauty and creativity and is a I think wonderful celebration of makers of color yeah and so what is your relationship to Viviana lovers (laughs) Viviana said lovers no (laughs) unfortunately not yet but um (laughs) as her husband stands by (laughs) right we'll talk about that one later (laughs) But I actually met Viviana after doing a project with a friend of hers and also an artist in this exhibition, uh, Catalina Belisi. And I did a different kind of painting and other fine art, if you will, um, exhibition Mm -hmm. at a space in Chicago called Woman Made Gallery. And I was... Oh, I've heard of Woman Made. Oh, cool. So it was a show there and I was dropping off a painting to one of Catalina's friends who happened to be... Viviana 
Oh. And so we chatted a bit while carrying this massive, absolutely massive painting <laughs> <laughs> up her steps. And um, months later, she hits me up saying, I have a project if you're interested. And so we kind of took off from there. And so Viviana, hey, hey, hey. Hello. Um, <laughs> so you approached me about this idea of bringing the podcast here. And at the time, I feel like you were still kind of developing the idea for Underexposed. Or did you already know that this exhibition idea you already had? We were still developing the idea of it. I think knowing that Snag was coming into town and then, you know, starting to just kind of do my own internal work as to like what am I a part of this community am I not a part of this community my background um, I was trained in art jewelry and metal smithing and Mm. I'm obviously now I'm I'm a fine jewelry designer so I've kind of drifted away from kind of the academia of it yeah but obviously owning a shop I have several artists that are part of snag so a natural question that was asking me is like are you going to be a part of you know are you going to be a part of the uh conference and I you know and I was very conflicted and was like should I should I not and it's uh I really had to journal what what's important to me what would I want to bring to light and I wanted to um just shed light and just start a conversation about the lack of diversity within the field and what is it for me and others like me uh, to feel comfortable in these spaces Mm -hmm. because it may not be a conversation amongst the majority of white women in the room but it sure is for the minority the very few of us that are there and yeah you walk in the room and you just lock eyes with each other and it's just like a a slow blink you're like I see you (laughs) you know yeah um and I guess I don't know if we gave insight to everybody that Society of North American Goldsmiths which is a organization that includes jewelers metalsmiths makers under this larger umbrella um sculpture blacksmith um they are in Chicago. They have an annual conference, and it's in a different city each year. And it's in Chicago this year because it is the 50th anniversary of when the organization was founded. So not only is this something where um, it came here and it brings a lot of people, but there is a lot of people here at this conference. Um, and I love that you were able to bring this conversation to the table because it is, I think the conversation around Snag is they're like celebrating our past, but thinking about our future. And this conversation needs to be a big part of that future. Yeah, and I think it's a conversation not only for Snag specifically, this isn't, you know, an anti or in response to kind of thing, but no. it, I think it's the art, the jewelry field in general. And I would say that for fine art community, uh, whoever you speak to, this is, I mean, everyone's having this conversation because it's precedent. I, I heard that there was like a Twitter fight in the knitting community because of lack of diversity. And, um, you know, I we talked about, did we talk about white fragility for that book yet? No. I mean, well, you know, when you invited me to do this conversation, I have to say, like, 
I am a white woman running this podcast. Yeah, having sure this are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Hey, leading a conversation about diversity with you. <laughs> it is like, summarize, uh, idea. Um, so immediately I was like, are you sure you want me to do this? And you're like, no, no, we want to work with you. Um, and so you suggested the book White Fragility, mm-hmm. um, which I read and then I've had conversations with friends about and suggested to other people. Um, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. So, so Adia was actually the one who brought the book to my attention and encouraged our staff to read it. So our whole staff has read that book specifically just to give us some grounding and some language, just to give us context on how to speak to a predominantly white audience about a subject matter that makes people really nervous and, and, you know, just really tight and defensive. And I, you know, more specifically, what I love about the book is she does touch base with the fact that sometimes the hardest people to talk to are uh, women who think that they're liberal or they put themselves in that camp because you really close yourself off to a lot of exposure or conversation if you just kind of pigeonhole yourself and you're like, well, you know, I'm liberal, I'm open, I support abortion and all of these things. Um, but yet there are behavior patterns that are unchecked. Uh, yeah. There are subconscious biases that, yeah. you know, continue. Um, so, I mean, I was nervous going into the, I mean, man, anybody in my life who knows, that, you know, this conversation, because amongst people of color, we speak very openly to each other. Yeah. And then when we're in front of, white people we just you know we just you know get a little nervous the atmosphere you know? oh yes okay can i just be a idea yeah, yeah can i just um maybe say some ask some questions that white people get a little uncomfortable about sure to ask oh god hey girl hey um so for instance terminology we're <laughs> discussing like poc some people don't even know what that is poc People of color. Person, people of color. Yeah. Now, when you were, if you were in a conversation and say, Taisha Carrington's work is in the show. Ah, and you guys, I met her in New York and then she's been in town for the conference and she is so lovely. Right. And she had to catch a plane so she couldn't come, which is sad, but she, I'm sure your paths will cross. I hope so. Um, You know, if I described her as an artist, well, she's from Barbados, but would it be frowned upon to say she is a black jeweler? I don't think so. Of Can course, everyone has their own ways of identifying themselves. Yeah. But, I mean, phenotype is a kind of fact. Yeah. <laughs> and race is a thing that we all exist in. Um, so I, I, I personally don't think that describing someone as a black artist or a black a Latina artist, yeah, what have you, takes anything away from their practice or or what they're doing yeah okay because I feel like there's that part in the book of white fragility where there is that moment where they're like when a white person is talking about a black person and they go well they're black you know and that for me I was like (laughs) oh my god that's my aunt that's my teacher and yeah you know and it's just you're just saying this is I'm a white person you're a black person and don't be weird about it yeah, I think with that, it's also when identifying someone, it's yeah. also opening yourself up to potentially being corrected. Because there's some people who yeah. maybe don't want to be identified in that way. You might say black artists are like, well, no, I'm actually a Haitian or Caribbean, and then might 
yeah. you know, get a bit more specific with their identity. But yeah. in anything that we do, talking about another person, right? You want to try to do so with respect and also being very mindful if they do correct you or what have you, then yeah. you're open to that. And I would much rather be corrected than not even try at all, right? Right. And I think, you know, to your point about the book, you know, what's sometimes awkward is that white people don't like to be identified as a race or they're not used to it. You're not used to it, you know, where, you know, we are constantly or, you know, we breathe in it all the time. You know, we have to acknowledge like, you know, whether I'm Latinx or, you know, black or however, but white people aren't used to embracing the fact that you all have a culture you know mm-hmm. it is the dominant culture you know yeah. um so for us to navigate even in professionalism you know we are constantly having to learn about white culture and adjust our language our habits to to advance ourselves you yeah. know there, there's no other way around it you know yeah so when i think of you know uh, I don't know. Here, uh, you ask a question because I'm going to go. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, hey, I love tangents. It gives me a moment <laughs> to like think and breathe. Um, so never apologize for that. I, I do want to ask the question um, to both of you. Um, within your creative practices, your lives, works, et cetera, as a business owner and as a woman who just received her MA, congratulations. Thank you. Um, May I ask about within the artistic communities, like ways in which you have seen racism and been discriminated against in ways that you feel that that has kind of stunted your ability to progress within your field or towards the goals that you want to reach? Um, there, you know, there's... There's a lot of conversations going on right now in a lot of different fields about the lack of diversity, the lack of diversity within the craft community, the lack right. of diversity within the contemporary jewelry community. And it's like, well, where does it start? And I think it's systemic. And that question is a pretty big question. But I did mm-hmm. want to just start there with you. Like, where mm-hmm. have you experienced? Yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> There's a list, but we'll just start with a couple. <laughs> give it to me. Um, you know, to give an example, so when I graduated school, I graduated again kind of with an art jewelry background, and I would created a production line, and I was working at an art jewelry gallery. And mm-hmm. I kept running into the same thing, whether I was submitting to shows, um, I was told that my work was too ethnic. Now it's taboo to say that. It, it wasn't even that long ago. Yeah, because we're the same age. So how old? Yeah, we? I was like 25, 26, like and not even um, 10 years ago. But that's the thing. It's uh, the owner of the gallery, and I know this. Is, you know, it's if everyone on your board, if everyone who is selecting work, yeah, looks the same, you're typically consciously or subconsciously attracted to the same aesthetic, yeah. right? And it's a very Eurocentric you know, for um, the gallery I submitted to, it was just like a really clean European, Eastern European kind of style. And Mm -hmm. my work at the time was comprised of wood, black diamonds and gold. And, you know, my, I I really love Middle Eastern history and politics and those things. And and although I'm Latina, like I, I draw on those things. So my work reflected that. 
Yeah. And I was told, no, your work is is too ethnic, like to my face. And I'm like, I'm not surprised. I mean, I'm unfazed. But then I had other coworkers who all got their work in, all white, white women, yeah. you know. And, and those aesthetics were, of course, like pushed and praised. Um, and then I just kind of take it. You, I mean, that's the thing. It's like we are so used to this that you don't yeah. even like get that butt hurt because you just expect it. <laughs> and, um, you know, I worked at a space that um, I was a hiring manager yeah. and I selected an amazing girl to be a, a salesperson beautiful, smart, I mean, knocked it out of the, she was overqualified. Yeah. She was black. And when it came down to sitting down with the owner to figure out who do we hire, straight up was told, I don't want to hire the black girl because she's beautiful and she will attract black men to come into the space. And I don't want to generalize, but that's typically who steals things. And I just had to sit there and I'm just like, oh, we're going there. And, and yeah. we had a really terribly awkward exchange, but it's not my business. It's yeah. not my, you know, so I felt like the curtain was revealed for, for a moment, you know, yeah. and, and somebody's speaking very openly to you about maybe their prejudices, you mm-hmm. know, um, and I wanted I didn't want to grandstand in that moment, but it's like, let's have a constructive conversation about this, you know, because sometimes people forget who they're speaking to, you know, sometimes, um, sometimes white people have been very open and said things to me and it's because they forget that I'm Hispanic, you know, or they, they forget, you know, they're like, oh, cause you're articulate. I don't know how many times I've heard that one. (laughs) Oh my God. I don't know how many times white people get told they're articulate, (laughs) but damn. So yeah. I'll give it to Adia, but I have more. I have more. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yes. Where to start with this one? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think being, this is definitely a conversation that's happening on the contemporary arts side, which is side of the arts ecosystem, which is primarily where I work as a curator and mm-hmm. administrator. So I'll say in all of my capacities as an administrator, having been through a number of different organizations and institutions, what Viviana is saying about, you know, the, the makeup of boards and people who are gatekeepers um, really dictates what goes on at the more public facing levels of an organization. Yeah. And so I think right now in, in one particular job we're doing a lot of diversity equity and inclusion discussions yeah and things like that but I look at the makeup of the staff and recent hires and don't see those discussions being reflected in who's actually becoming someone on staff on the payroll what have you um in my own personal work and experience I tend to work primarily with artists and makers of color as a personal choice, as someone who has, who is occasionally given a platform of some sort. And so I, yeah. I would like that to be the work that I choose to highlight. Um, and so you'd be very surprised the shows that I propose with all black artists or touching on things like African spirituality or any other kind of 
non-mainstream topic, those get rejected pretty quickly. Surprisingly quickly. Yeah. You're like, like, <laughs> I'm like, damn, they, okay. I don't even know if they looked at right? it. Yeah. I'm like, they saw what? Um, and so that being very hurtful, of course, I think in contemporary arts, like black art is having, is, is on the up. Like the market stats tell you that, collector stats tell you that. Yeah. But I always wonder about the permanence of that. Black art's not a fad, just as Latinx, indigenous, what have you type of art is not a fad. Yeah. Um, and similar to what Viviana was saying, you know, when you submit or do a phone interview and then you go in in person and people are kind of taken aback. <laughs> They're like, oh, you are so articulate. I'm like, uh, I've never yeah, thought yeah, about I am. That. Yeah. It's like, would like, you? Yeah, I'm really Let's step outside smart. and I won't be. Um, <laughs> but, you know, um, so things like that. And, and it's really, it's really tiring. I think something that Vivian did also allude to was the kind of stamina that you build up as a person of color. Um, mm-hmm. In White Fragility, that's definitely something that Robin D'Angelo brings up about white people just have it, not having to build up that kind of stamina. So yeah. it's like being able to stomach, swallow, move on um, from comments that are said to you that are, you know, microaggressions or blatant yeah. racism because you're like, okay, heard that, heard, have heard worse, you know, yeah. we'll keep we'll keep it moving. Or just like consistent rejections and knowing that it is based upon your aesthetic, which is inherent because you are who you are. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And it's so funny when you guys were talking about that. Um, there was one moment where a few years ago I had this conversation because the American aesthetic is so different from the European aesthetic in a lot of ways for contemporary art jewelry. And there's this big award that happens in contemporary art jewelry. And this white woman who I was having a discussion with was like, I'm not even applying anymore because Americans never going to get picked because blah, 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 blah. Cause they always want the European aesthetic. So it's like, why do we even bother? And the oh god, the minute you guys were just talking about that, I was like, holy shit! Like that's just like one tiny. Like you experience that all the time, yeah. And that's just like a stupid contemporary art jewelry award. Like who cares? This is your life, <laughs> but yeah. I'll give you one more yeah example. I mean, it's even uh, my husband laughs at this, but I've never gotten a job if my hair wasn't straight whoa ever anytime I've walked in with curly hair I've never gotten a job and I've always you know you know it's it's things like that all the time and that's not necessarily tied to specifically you know art but it's just all of these kind of you know this is the way these are the preferences we have these are the prejudices we have and and I think people need to start by acknowledging what are what are prejudices that I might hold what are predetermined judgments that I have over people or styles or you know expectations yeah. and I, I feel like you know we talk uh, Adi and I talk a lot about just kind of like you know gatekeepers you know in whether it be in fine art or jewelry so gatekeepers being people you know if you find yourself being a jewelry store owner, uh, a, you know, a curator, uh, a podcast, you know, host. Yeah. If you have a studio where you employ, you know, internships uh, of other artists coming in underneath you, like, 
positions that are of some that would actually help and give access to others and really ask yourself like are you giving people access are you impeding are you being a roadblock in some way because i feel like all of us have something we could give or do to kind of open a way for someone else and we do it typically for people who look like us you know um it's putting that extra effort to try to give an opportunity to somebody who doesn't look like you yeah yeah and i think that's such a difficult thing the act of admitting or coming to terms with how your how your actions implicate yourself in this larger thing that is you know white supremacy white racism what have you define white supremacy yeah. oh yeah so viviana just said define white supremacy yeah please do Okay, white supremacy, that which is, is often a word that people hear and like totally shut down um, after hearing. But really, it's just an acknowledgement of white culture being, well, of course, the, the norm being dominant. And yeah. um, with it, the power structures that are continually, that continually reify um, whiteness as... Wow, that's such a big <laughs> whiteness <laughs> as um, that what should be in, in power and in, in positions of decision making. Yeah. So that covers everything from your kind of blatant racism with that kind of dichotomy of good versus bad, where you're just like, if somebody, you know, is carrying tiki torches and saying, you know, go back to Africa, that's, that's like a blatant racist thing but it also covers things like microaggressions hiring practices like we were just talking about you know where your your actions actually ripple out in this kind of ecosystem and and have an effect yeah I yeah and when I read that book I had to come to terms with that too because I think it's you want it to be a binary you want it to be like good bad not racist racist yeah and i've um and the connotation that comes with white supremacy is always straight to the tiki torch mentality like that visualization but realizing that that's not it it's the fact that majority of ads on buses are white people and depicted most um television shows depict white people and i think something else too that I have really been like, okay, oh God, this is hard to grapple with and I got to put a lot of work in is realizing that I am white, I am liberal, I am progressive thinking, I'm having this conversation with you, but I still am, I still show racism. Like I'm still um, subconsciously racist in many ways that I'm not even like aware of. Yeah. Ah, and that's hard, that's to, hard say to say out this, loud, right? Because yeah. I'm not a racist. Sure. <laughs> or at least I don't want to be a racist, and I don't want to do racist things. But there's things that I just grew up, and I don't even know that I'm being racist. Yeah, I think we don't acknowledge the pervasiveness of racism and white supremacy. So it's actually yeah. something that everyone's kind of born into, right? Yeah. It's it's what you see in the media. Mm-hmm. It's who is in government. It, it's all of these different things that we don't even realize are kind of perpetuating that same ideal. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost an inescapable 
thing. So yeah, of course you you don't realize some behaviors, some thinking, what have you, are yeah. racist or biased or prejudicial, what have you. Yeah. But that's kind of every <laughs> everyone it's in some way, every person. right? So. Yeah. So yes, I totally understand what what you mean when you say yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't want to be in this anymore. But the sh- the unfortunate thing is that yeah. it, it's it's all around. Shoot, and there's a term ah I'm blanking because we're recording and I'm nervous. But um, <laughs> there's a term in white fragility that is that type of person that is the progressive. Adversive racism. Yes. Yes. Adversive. Say that again. And adversive racism. So it's that it's the person who is pro- who identifies as progressive, who you know has friends of color, <laughs> you know all of those all those kind of excuses for lack of a better term that that imply I I can't possibly be racist because it's subscribing to that good versus bad dichotomy, which is yeah. complete BS. Yeah. And it's like, I've had partners of color, but I still can't say, well, I'm not racist because I've had partners of color. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's that person that you have to say, read this book. <laughs> exactly. Also, I just want to like throw out there that like my, another thing in that book that um, I don't see color. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the luxury of not having to see color. Right? The privilege of not having to see color. Yeah. But let's adapt that to our, our lives as artists where it's, I don't see the artist, I just see the work. <laughs> right, I mean, that's just absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, Adia just giggled. <laughs> <laughs> I was like a cackle. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, you see it in the artist's name and like the aesthetic. I mean, it comes through. I mean, I, I can see a pattern, you know, with yeah. artists from Latin America and, you know, artists, you know, black artists. Like, I see the pattern and, you know, it's, I think everybody wants to be like, no, I'm unique. I, I am outside of this. I can I can look at all the work objectively. And you're you're not your decisions aren't made in a void. They're all yeah. informed and they've been layered and informed for years and years and years. So I mean, just to give I, I feel like, you know, we're 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 unpacking this in a big way, but I also want us to kind of talk about what does this look like in like practical brass tacks? Like how can you walk this out? You I know? was just going to say, it was like, that was my next question. Um, yeah. Because, you know, we are trying to land the plane and talk about maybe the jewelry field specifically. Yeah. Um, and jewelry is expensive. So let's just talk about one of the first major thresholds to start. Right. Yeah. So we have arts education. Um, one, that is a very expensive and quite frankly, an elitist education for for all of us who are in there you know and when I've actually spoken to a lot of my friends of color who have had exposure to art it's because not necessarily this isn't a this isn't a throwaway but a lot of times it was because there was a free arts program that was targeting maybe underserved communities or teens or a charter school that gave free classes Um, so there was something in place to reach children uh, of color to give them exposure to the arts. Um, And then, you know, I mean, I can say for myself, like the YMCA was a huge, you know, uh, pillar in my life. And then I I went to an arts high school Mm -hmm. uh, that was free and you auditioned to get in. 
Um, so, you know, and my family would take me to things where they could, but we were working class, or, you know, so I didn't have access to those things. But here's the thing. So say you get into, say you're the minority of minorities and you're a brown person and you get into art school. Scholarships. Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a mythical creature. I've just never seen. Like, I don't know any, I, I don't personally, I'm just going to say that. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Uh, a person of color who's gone to art school and had art school paid for. <laughs> like, just... Wow. Just, I have not. I mean, did you, girl, did you? No? <laughs> just, and yeah. I could probably count them on one hand, if that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That so, is shocking. So then... Honestly, and probably and then shocking. you're also contending with, you know, like, can you finish the school? You know, because most people don't have families that will fully support them going through and and that's not only a color thing that I know that there are there are white people who have those same struggles within school and then you know what internships you get into afterwards apprenticeships people taking you under their wing maybe taking you to networking events I mean a lot of times you, you you know it just even culturally it's just very different like I come from yeah. a culture that's very warm and super family oriented and people are quite squishy you mm-hmm. know and it's very different to navigate a space that is kind of cold and and a little bit yeah. calculated you know yeah. and the way people try to network with each other so I have to learn and adopt a new language and a new way of being so that I can navigate this world for my own progress really yeah you know um I don't know. Yeah. So, did you want to comment on that idea? <laughs> what was the question again? <laughs> well, I think we're we're talking about we're we're meandering. <laughs> Which is where would fine. you like me to meander? Is like that. Well, you know, as I think we're well, the conversation was at you know practical. the gatekeepers. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then we're leading on to well, where where do you start even getting into art school? Yeah, the barriers, exactly. Um, And I think the conversation that I keep going back to my mind as we're discussing is, is right now people are like, the lack of diversity, where does it start? Where does it change? Let's get this scholarship for this person to take a two week workshop at a craft school because that's gonna be diversifying that craft school. But not that's not going to change the makeup of our field necessarily because for me it's I see it as like a systemic socioeconomic backgrounds dictate what you can do in your life right so it's not necessarily that they just didn't choose to go to art school it's because they've been told throughout their whole life that you have to support yourself and take care of yourself and art school is a privilege Mm -hmm. wanting to be an artist is a privilege Mm -hmm. and it's not when you're born into do you see do you understand where I'm going yeah. with that yeah <laughs> <laughs> well I, I think I once heard this quote that it's really hard for someone to imagine other possibilities for themselves if they don't see someone that looks like them in those spaces um, yes. so I think about myself and curating and how I can only point to a few people black women who look like me you know, doing the damn thing. Yeah. And granted, they're phenomenal in, in doing it. But mm-hmm. the fact that that story, that narrative is so rare, yeah. um, not only rare, but not really talked about or celebrated in the same way that other stories are. 
So you get a scholarship, maybe, yeah, to go you, to that art school. You definitely. And, and every single one of your professors is white. Exactly. So it's hard to imagine that possibility yeah. for yourself. And their aesthetic is what white. it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that how we describe that? <laughs> like the way that they're teaching and showing you examples of work and yeah. Definitely. But I think recognizing something that you said, de- definitely recognizing the intersection between things like race, class, um, and privilege yeah. because you see a lot of these diversity and inclusion community outreach efforts and it's kind of you know go into a community do a program and then you mic drop on them and leave yes where's the sustainability where does this take root how does it have legs I don't think I have the answer to that no. but I think part of the thing is sustained involvement yeah. community engagement shouldn't be a fad <laughs> it shouldn't be yeah. like a passing thing that you can just do for a day and say you did it congratulations so I think we should definitely start there on the part of institutions and organizations that say that they're doing things like community engagement and wanting to reach underserved or really communities that have been divested in um, like starting there and seeing what yeah. sustainability looks like making yourself a permanent part of an ecosystem and also going off on a little bit of a tangent there, um, recognizing that communities that have been divested in, uh, a lot of the language that the arts uses is like art deserts. Mm-hmm. So that term is problematic, of course. It implies that there's no art or culture in those spots. Uh-huh. So, well, one, that's bullshit. Yeah. Because arts and culture in that in that area might not look like what it looks like in the loop or your downtown or your fine art museum. Preach. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) And so I think maybe another strategy is, well, one, of course, recognizing that arts and cultures exist, recognizing how they exist, how they're unique to that area, that community, that cultural group, that ethnic group, any number of words can be thrown in there. And then saying, how do I lift those up? How do I lift up the, I don't know, the black quilt maker on the south side because that's the tradition over there? Yeah. Why do I have to bring in um, acrylic painting? painting? Yeah. Oh, my God. We both went to the same one. (laughs) It's like, ain't nobody got a fucking interest in acrylic painting down there, you know? And that's okay. (laughs) We got more than enough freaking acrylic painters out there. Um, Also, ones who are phenomenal in black, so that's great, too. Yeah. But... I think that's definitely a place where we need everyone in a a gatekeeper and a position of power who has any influence on an organization or programming that happens outside of an institution really needs to think about. It's not just your institution imparting their aesthetic, their knowledge onto a, you know, underserved community. It's how do we instead have something take roots that's uplifting for what's already going on because there are things going on. Yeah. Yeah. I never... Never thought about that. Art that desert. just came to me too, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask something that um, I was given the fortunate opportunity to, to be a gatekeeper in the sense mm-hmm. that I was the position of medals coordinator for this invitational only residency called Pentaculum. And I love my friend Saprit, who calls people out all the time (laughs) as they should and a few years ago you know I got the position because I was dating the director's 
assistant. Yeah, he's cute. (laughs) I have a thing for potters. Um, But that is literally how I got the position. It wasn't based upon any merit or anything like that. I think like potential, of course. Um, But I remember posting a photo of this invitational only residency at a craft school. And uh, my friend Sapreet made a comment. She's like, wow, how white is that photo? And Mm. I... I've thought that so many times. And I got sick to my stomach and I was like, yep, it is. Like, Mm -hmm. ah. And, you know, the next year I brought the discussion to the table that, guys, we have to do better. It's invitational. Like, and it's all white. And it's all white Mm -hmm. people inviting white people. Yeah. Um, But then there's that conversation that don't invite me as your token black person. Like, I'm not here to bring your quota up. And there's that, how do you feel about that? Like how, like how can we as gatekeepers and people in positions of that approach it in a way that is the right way? Like what is, right. talk I mean, to me. I mean, Adia's got, she's like. I know, she, you yes. Know. I'm sorry. Cho- is that chopping okay at that the I'm No, it's up? absolutely. I think it's important. it's important. I think for myself, I'm going to speak to myself. I feel like, every, you know, sometimes with, with when you're talking about Hispanic or black you know, just like people of color, sometimes we get lumped in. It's like, oh, you want this because this is what your people have asked for. You know, and yeah. and a lot of art. I mean, we see ourselves as been as individuals as well. Like there are certain artists who don't want to identify and they don't want to be acknowledged as just you know redu- reduced. We know, you know, yeah, yeah, reduced just to that. And there are other artists who are like, no, this is a platform I really want to speak to. Yeah, and. Um, I'm comfortable taking up the mantle on that one, you know? Yeah. Um, so I feel like that that's an individual, that's an individual answer, you know, for everyone has a different call, right? Like some yeah. people are called to protest, other people are called to writing. Like, mm-hmm. it's just that we're, we're all trying to shoulder to shoulder, push ourselves, advance ourselves within uh, excellence, within our work and with each other but we're not all going to have the same role. So I don't think yeah. that should be like, oh, don't invite people of color because somebody's going to be like, give me that. I'm, I'm, I will take your tokenism and I'm going to ride that thing and I will take over your organization. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you know, they'll take that opportunity. And other people are like, no, you know, I'm all right. I just want you to look at my work. And that is not a discussion that I'm comfortable having at this time because that's not how I primarily identify. I don't know yeah. if that... And I got to say, like, I did feel really uncomfortable with myself. But even as this person in this position, as like the gatekeeper, I looked at the male to female ratio ratio, like I like especially in jewelry, because like, Jesus, there's so much more women. And I'm so sick of men having most of the positions of power. It's just fucking yeah. stupid. Lots of ovaries. Um, <laughs> so many ovaries. But then when I'm looking at it in this way and I want to be conscious of diversifying who I'm inviting it's hard to not yeah. feel like I'm just inviting somebody based upon their race, but I'm not because I'm looking at their work as well. I don't know. For sure. I think Vivian is definitely right. There, there are hungry people out there who will take your tokenism. I'm definitely guilty of that. I've done yeah, it. it. I'm hey, like, give me that award. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, because we're practical people, right? We need to advance. We need the title. We need the internship. We need the what have you. So let's not negate that or shame anyone for that. But I think as an organization, when, if it's like, yeah, we want to. Oh, hold on. They got motorcycles, y'all. I don't know. They still did motorcycle gang things. <laughs> <laughs> motorcycle clums. <Ugh. laughs> 
But I think as an organization, then it's also the responsibility on y'all's part to think about who you're inviting. I don't know if it's something like you have speakers come in and and other things like that, because, you know, that person's going to feel like a fly in a milk bowl, obviously. And so how then do you not just plop them into something where they're uncomfortable, but instead say, look, we're also making conscious effort to diversify our speakers, to diversify, name something, someone else on staff, or we will look at this artist in the roster as well. Mm -hmm. So it's putting systems in place where they don't feel isolated and they don't feel alone. on the part of their race or background, what have you. Um, but also it's being willing to have this conversation with the people either in the organization or who are also in the residency apprenticeship, what have you. Yeah. Because like, I always use the analogy of like, it's really easy for like a museum to give an artist of color an exhibition that goes up for a couple months and comes down. It's yeah. another thing to add them to your permanent collection. Right? That's a good, yeah. Mm -hmm. So how do we work towards adding things to our permanent collection? How do we work towards diversifying the artists that are coming in and being, and serving as mentors who are speaking, um, who's running the program, organization, what have you? Who's on the board? Who's on, definitely. Oh God, boards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys, this is the hardest interview I've ever done <laughs> in like a really great way. Oh, yeah. and I'll, I'll, I'm just going to throw yeah, another. Yeah, please, Vivian. We'll take go, another go, tangent. Go. We'll take yeah. another tangent on aesthetics because a lot of art jewelers, again, it's I've created this really unique thing. I Earrings that are made of chain. And I feel like you have to also acknowledge, you, you have to acknowledge influence and where things have come from, you know? Yeah. Cultures have been making jewelry since the beginning of time. India yeah. has the most amazing jewelry history and mm-hmm. African nations and Morocco and Algeria. And, you know, yes, of course, you know, like you have filigree work in Italy. But it's like, for me, I, I just, I, I do like cop a little attitude mentally when people like, they don't want to acknowledge that. And they're like, no, I invented this thing and it is unique. It's like, no, you have taken it in a really beautiful way and you are interpreting it and you're using your voice and your language with these skill sets and with this style. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I, I personally want people to acknowledge, you know, what is it called? Appropriation. Appropriation. Thank you. You know, Thank you. and you know what? <laughs> I think there's, appropriation happens, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's two ways to go about it you can unconsciously be appropriating a culture or somebody's work and I think it's what you do with that knowledge when you it's brought to your attention and the way that Definitely. you and I think that's okay like it's okay to make mistakes and grow yeah. from them and I yeah. and I think some people um jump too quickly to get upset and be like why are you making this a race thing and it's like it's not but like bring attention to it acknowledge that and then grow from that it's like kim kardashian with her braids sorry oh my god it's like, <laughs> <laughs> couldn't hear, hear vivian in the back like kim kardashian with her braids oh my For god sure. 
That's but she's married to a black, black man, Viviana. No. It was from Bo Derek. <laughs> okay. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think citing your sources is always important, right? Like yeah. Writing and art making and jewelry making. Yeah, it's inevitable. I mean, we appropriate shit all the time. <laughs> it's a fact. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things in existence, and we we can't be aware of all the things that we appropriate but it's that openness that we kind of talked about at the beginning right that openness to hearing critique to accepting critique and to saying oh I was unaware of this but now that I do know it's what you do after that yeah and that's a lot about this discussion as well yeah about white supremacy white fragility all of these things it's I think an inherent part of this is that openness to to being critiqued to being called out granted is the way that everyone calls you out like respectful? No, no, some people are assholes and that's like what it is. Yeah. But it's saying, okay, I've misstepped, I've made a mistake. How then do I pivot and and hear what they're saying? First hearing what they're saying. Just being open to hearing. Yeah. And listening. Oh man. Hearing, listening, mm. that active listening that's like actually taking it in as opposed to listening to respond or listening to recenter yourself. It's like, well, my int- my favorite thing is you know, someone says something problematic, racist, what have you. They're like, well, my intention was, I'm like, well, your intention wasn't expressed. So there's that. But what that does is actually recenter that person in this discussion, right? It's not taking into account the impact. So we shouldn't focus on the intention. Instead, we need to focus on the impact. So what is the impact of that appropriation? What is the impact of your statement? Mm-hmm. Let's start there as opposed to recentering yourself, your narrative, and whatever this discussion about a misstep is. Yeah. Impact. Adia, I want to yeah. talk about, because there is so much talk about how do we diversify the field? How do we move forward? I want, I mean, and no one has the answers, right? And we're not going to get any answers out of this conversation. Um, We're just like barely even dipping our toe into this conversation. Um, But I want to get your perspective on that. As somebody who is putting yourself in, you went to school, you have that degree. You are putting yourself in the position to be the gatekeeper. Yeah. Which I, which I think is one step to diversify in our field is encouraging POC artists to become the gatekeepers and those around them helping and encouraging. And um, so talk to me. What is the solution? No, no what, what is the solution <laughs> to racism? Not that. Auntie Adia says. Um, but it is a little difficult where we're all just like, okay, let's diversify the field. Let's raise money for POC artists to take for scholarships. Like, that's not going to solve anything. No, it's not. I think and wholeheartedly believe that the first step towards any of this being actionable is for, is actually really for white people to to do the due diligence of like reading white fragility of educating themselves of implicating themselves in these structures that 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 a lot of them kind of perpetuate so i think it starts there you know i think the book also or maybe not that book but you know some greater thinker than, than myself has yeah. said i mean like racism is a is a white person problem mm. you know it if you think about what where what what is racism mired in mm-hmm. it's mired in not a lot of people will say like fear mm-hmm. i'm like yeah that's a part of it but i think it's also mired 
and power. So we're talking about white supremacy powers at, at the core of that. So if we delve into that and see how we can change power, it's, it's for white people to start with themselves. To think about how do I dismantle, dismantle this thing, these systems that have been put in place to push me forward, me in particular yeah. forward as a white person, right? So I think, of course, that is a big ass ask. <laughs> Yeah. It's hard, you know, when you're like, I just want to like get to that yeah. salary I want, and I'm busting my ass exactly. to get through school and do this. It's for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want I, that position of a gatekeeper. We all do as definitely. artists. Yeah, definitely. And of course, there are people who are content not to be a gatekeeper in the spotlight. Oh, but yeah, true. In, I'm just speaking from my perspective. S- oh yeah, give me all the titles. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it really comes down to everyone at some point has probably been a gatekeeper. Yes. It might have been the Definitely. smallest thing Picking in the world. The dodgeball team. Exactly. <laughs> it, no, really, though. No, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you, everyone's been a gatekeeper at some point. And so if we're having this kind of discussion and if we're doing this kind of introspection and self-work, then when you're in a position to be a gatekeeper, you're not reifying those structures because you've done the due diligence. You're like, oh, I know I was going to pick... Becky. (laughs) I apologize. I apologize that I went there. I'm sorry. (laughs) Don't apologize. It was awesome. As opposed to like Viviana or Lakeisha, right? Yeah. Like, you know that your mind went there, but your mind's going to go there because like I said, we're all implicated in these systems. It's what's all around us. It's the air that we breathe. But you stopped yourself because you're like, oh, my biases and prejudices took me there. But instead, I'm going to make a choice that's not mired in that mm-hmm. and going to look at, you know, other applicants, other people, other artists, mm-hmm. not because I owe it to them or want to do this like altruistic thing, but because I know that my biases and my racism tell me not to do that work. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Viviana, say something. I've been talking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. No, I mean, I, I, you know, just to, oh, no, hello, talking closer. (laughs) Yeah, but I I mean, I think all of us need to acknowledge where our prejudices lie and, you know, you need to course correct accordingly, right? Yeah. Um, I, I I don't Or just do the question. Like, (laughs) because I mean, my mind's going in like five million different directions as to where this can like possibly go, but. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you were asking for solutions, right? Well, I mean, no. Well, I was just saying, I was like, let's just even try to think about what maybe a solution is. You know, it's... Yeah. It's a huge question. And I think a lot of people right now are struggling with a lot of their own prejudices and racism and examining themselves and looking at organizations that they're involved with and wondering how they can help diversify and... Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, yeah, I mean, I think taking an assessment of what powers and authorities do you personally hold and what are the barriers of access that you've put in place, whether it's like, if you don't have fr- a friend of color, close friend, you should question that, you know, dig into that a little bit, you know, if you are selecting a show, if you get the chance to like, I'm going to a networking event, who am I bringing with me, you know? Yeah, those things, you know, 
access is, is important, you know, for, for all of us. Um, I was going to say something. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, just like one more little antidote. You know, it's funny. It's like when I built this business and I started to kind of establish this space, I really took inventory and analyzed in all of the gallery spaces I've been in, what do I love and what did I hate? And what are, what are aspects of it that I took on myself because that's just what white people expected and that's just what's expected of the field and what is it that I don't want to continue? Like, I'll be quite frank, I find, I find our openings boring to tears. Mm-hmm. Like, deeply boring. Yeah. You know, you go... I'm in it for the booze. Yeah, you go in, you, you know, um, <laughs> some people really, really love them, you know, but for me, it's like, if I'm going to do an event, I'm going to host it like I would in my home. You know, like a Latino home. Like I want people to feel to get a hug when they walk in. You're gonna have a party atmosphere. You're gonna have some fun things that you do. And meanwhile, like I, you have access to work if you, you know, if you do want to purchase something. You know, they're not hundreds of hundreds of dollars that you have to maybe hope one day you can, you can purchase. You mm-hmm. know, so th- there are a lot of conscious things that I've designed into my own space. But what's funny is even the people from Snag have come here. Yeah. And they don't think I'm the owner. It's, it's just, I'm like, I'm not even surprised. Not even surprised. They're looking around me. And I'm like, and there we go again. You yeah. Know. I don't, you know. Hey, it's okay to have silence on podcasts. You guys are looking at me like, are you going to talk now? I, like, I, don't, know, I don't see You know, know what? That. Sometimes it's valuable just to have that moment to like breathe and just be like, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we've been, we've been going for it. We're hit, we've been on this mic for about an hour. Um, <laughs> I hope this was helpful. <laughs> well, you know, know what, <laughs> if not, I mean, I guess my intention with doing this was just to do it, you know, like I didn't come into this conversation thinking that I was going to ask any of the right questions. I came into it thinking that I'm probably going to say some fumble through my words and feel really uncomfortable which is just about right um but I mostly just wanted to speak with you too and give you this platform because as a woman a white woman who has created a podcast um I now hold a platform that I did not really intend on having that I have now and so as an ally I guess as a gatekeeper this was my intention was to share my platform with you because I wanted to and I believe in what your, I believe in what your project is and what you were doing. Adia, thank you. <laughs> Adia is poking my face um, lovingly. <laughs> so, so I guess what I want to say is, as we wrap up and we um, go towards the end of our discussion here, is there anything that we maybe not have touched on, or anything you just wanted to say at all? or a book or any kind of website or anything you want to recommend or plug? Well, (laughs) everyone should go out and read White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, of course. Um, No, I think, I think we all need to kind of do our due diligence when it comes to having conversations about race. I mean, White Fragility in many ways was eye-opening for me like racism of course is all around me is something I experience all too often Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of things that I still have to learn in having these conversations not just terminology but 
that book really opened up a bit of sympathy for me. So a oh. lot of a lot of my first reaction when wanting to talk to someone about race was like, well, why don't you fucking get it? You know, and so I become defensive. I shut down. I become, you know, what have you. Yeah. But recognizing that, well, yeah, it is frustrating if people don't want to do the work. Of course, there's that. But also realizing, look, if someone hasn't had to think of themselves in racial terms, which is a lot of the case with white people because it is the norm. Yeah. Then there's a learning curve there. In the same way that I can't do math for shit, like there's a learning curve. Or uh, <laughs> another example right now is pronouns. Mm-hmm. Pronouns yeah. is a very good and one. I keep screwing up, but damn it, people are going to exactly. keep working. Yeah. Exactly. And it's being willing to put in that work. It's being open to critique. It's being it's being vulnerable because yeah, this is a squirmy subject that makes people uncomfortable. And let's take a minute to sit in that discomfort. Like, why am I uncomfortable right now? Why am I shutting down right now? Why do I want to run away, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or, you know, or fight if you if you go in that direction. Um, like sitting in that discomfort and saying, okay, let's unpack this a bit. And, and finding either people that you trust or other resources. I mean, like White Fragility in the back has this really dope reading list and watch list mm-hmm. that you know, can spiral out into so many other avenues for this discussion. It's like, why am I uncomfortable? And how do I better educate myself so that maybe it's not as bad (laughs) the next time I inevitably mess up? Because we all do. Yeah. Misgendering somebody, saying, you know, having, doing a microaggression, what have you. We all, we all do. We're inevitably going to misstep. It's how do we pivot how do we examine that impact? And how do we keep on educating ourselves? Thank you. And Viviana? Anything you want to say as we wrap up? No, I just, I really appreciate this conversation. Um, again, like I had mentioned earlier, I mean, this is a conversation that amongst people of color, we, we have very openly and frequently. And I... I'm just really grateful for the opportunity to kind of speak about this in a safe space. And I just, um, again, we don't have all the answers. We no. don't. And we're not, we're not coming from a space that we want to grandstand and tell people exactly what to do. We're exploring this ourselves. We're just having a conversation. You know? Yeah. We're making ourselves vulnerable and yeah. coming but together. I, you know, thinking of ways that either have you bought work from black or Latino artists do you know the owners of those businesses? You know, do you have friends of color that are close to you? You know, these mm-hmm. really start to question your effects financially, decision making, pulling people for projects. What is that? I mean, the ripple effects really of your life, you know? Um, I think that we all can always have more compassion for each other. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, I'm, my hope for the art jewelry community is more openness, more real, true support of each other, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not layered in any sort of competitive cattiness, you know, just like 
I don't know. I want people to breathe a little, you yeah. know, and and have this conversation not again make people defensive and tighten up, but it's, you know, let's let's breathe together, let's support each other and let's have a conversation of what does it look like for us to open this up a little bit more. Yeah, lean know? into it. Don't yeah. don't shut yourself off. That's the most important part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and um, having this bloop, conversation bloop. with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. This has been another episode of Perceived Value, the podcast broaching the subject of value with artists. Until next time. Perceived Value is recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. If you love the podcast and you want to show your support, become our patron visit patreon.com slash perceived value to learn more or check out our website at perceivedvaluepodcast.com and click on the support page. As always, thank you for listening.